and even more important than that, that they learn how to function, how to thrive, how to excel mm. outside this box. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That, that's what we're here for. So I'll tell you, I usually um, turn on the recorder early to catch witty banter. You went, <laughs> <laughs> you went straight into interview mode. I'm sorry. <laughs> Sydney Robinson's oh. ready. Oh my gosh. Here we go. Hey folks, let me tell you all about Cynthia Cindy Robinson, uh, a product of Richmond Public Schools, Richmond City Public Schools. Cindy Robinson graduated a first-generation college student from the University of Virginia with a Bachelor of Arts degree in English and a Master's of Teaching in Secondary Curriculum. After graduating from UVA, Cindy returned to RPS to teach high school English at John Marshall High School, where she taught for nine years. During that time, Cindy became a clinical residency coach with the Richmond Teacher Residency Program and served in that capacity for three years. Uh, Cindy also became a national board certified teacher with certification in English language arts, adolescence, and young adulthood. In 2015, Cindy became an instruction technology resource teacher for RPS and currently supports the district by providing professional development and supporting teachers at Miles Jones and Swansboro and Green Elementary School, which is where we are today in their auditorium. Uh, Cindy is also a facilitator for the new teacher center training designed uh, for instructional coaches and mentors of beginning teachers and continues to work with the Richmond Teacher Residency Program as an adjunct professor for the Intro to Secondary School Curriculum course. Cindy is currently a doctoral candidate at the George Washington University and it focuses her research on emotional intelligence. Uh, you have no free time is what I just heard. Yeah, um, free time is uh, few and far between. <laughs> yeah. Such is the life of a public educator, I think. Yes, I yes. think um, there are a few people more fascinating than first-generation college students. They always have a story. Yeah, yeah. I um, you know, being a first-generation college student is interesting because um, you're, you're going into a setting that you're excited about, just like every other, you know, rising freshmen going to college, you're excited. Um, but there are all of these different forces that are working around you, um, good and bad, and, and some are just quite just strange. <laughs> um, but, but you're there, and it's much more heightened, I think, because you know that you're there because every other college freshman is there and excited to have fun, but you also have a weight on you. Mm. You know that um, you know that you can't fail, and that's a that's a heaviness. Um, but you know, things get pushed further by mm. things that are heavy. You know, if you got you got some weight behind it, mm. it, it's gonna it's gonna propel you further. I think, yeah. farther than you thought that than you that you could have gone before, and so. Um, I'm grateful yeah. for that experience, all those lessons, um, lessons that I learned. Yeah. Yeah. I have a feeling we might have to interview you again, <laughs> get that full story. <laughs> um, Cindy, what's the purpose of public schools? Wow. Okay. 
The purpose of public schools. Well, I'll tell you what I think people have begun to make it. Mm. I think public schools has become um, a Band-Aid for social ills. I think that we've decided that everything that could possibly be wrong in our society, we will have our public schools fix it. Mm. And if our public schools can't fix it, then we will crucify <laughs> our public schools. Mm. And that is tragic, unfortunate, and, um, and something that I believe we, we really want to fix. Mm. Because for me, the intent of public school is not just about fixing social ills. Mm. You know, I mean, I think that we all should be a part of that process because mm. we're all a part of creating those social ills. Let's just be honest. Mm. But when we think about public schools, we're thinking about creating places for people, young people, to be who they are mm. and to grow into whoever they want to become. Mm. And it's hard to do that when you have um, when you have these structures in place that do not take into account that there are different ways of being. Hmm. Um, so for me, public school is, is about, you know, being a nurturing space and being a place for training and building and molding. Hmm. Now, I also believe in discipline um, because I think that... Um, with all of that said, I think that, you know, nurturing and, and helping kids grow and understand who they are, all of those things are important. But I think that that sometimes becomes um, confused with just whatever a kid wants to do. Mm. Whatever our kids want to do, let them do it. Mm. There has to be structure. Mm -hmm. there, there has to be... Um, with love, always with love, with nurture, um, with concern and with care, but discipline, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, there are different ways of being. Yes, hmm. there are different ways of being. There, we don't have to have, um, you know, cookie-cutter kids to have a good school. Mm-hmm. And, and to have brilliant kids in our school. We can't have cookie-cutter kids. Um, yeah, who wants that? Yeah. So hmm. um, what does that look like? Well, that for me, that means that we have to change the way that we view what smart looks like and what a good teacher looks and sounds like. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, how do we... Um, push against that narrative that you described at the beginning, that growing narrative that um, public schools are failing because we see perpetuating poverty, right? Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that, never mind that poverty affects educational outcomes. If we can't fix poverty with public education, that must mean that it's, that it's failing. How do we push against that narrative and communicate that nuance of what's actually going on in our public schools? I think we don't celebrate... Um strength, resilience enough. Hmm. We don't. 
Um, I think that we look at it uh, with an eye of <clears throat> charity, and um, I feel bad for, mm -hmm. I feel sorry for, oh, you poor whatever. Mm -hmm. And while that is, um, well, no, it, it, it's not good. And, he, and here's why. Mm -hmm. I think that we set our children up. <laughs> um, we set our children up in a, in a very uh, dangerous way when we say things like, it's okay that you didn't do X, Y, and Z because I know that you have gone through whatever. Mm. The reality is mm. when our kids leave us, they go into a world that is not, <laughs> mm. not concerned about what you went through or the fact that you're a first-generation college student mm. or that you've had a hard life or that your father was in prison all of nobody cares mm. and I, I would say that to my kids and they would mm. you know and I, I taught high school but but I would say that to them mm. after you leave school I want to believe that everybody cares but I'm going to be honest with you because I love you enough to be honest with you mm. there are many people in this world who don't care mm. now what mm. Your job is to prepare students for the real world. For the real world. Yeah. In that safe, nurturing space. What is it that you want to do? And let's learn how to do it and learn how to do it with excellence mm -hmm. so that you can stand out and you can thrive. Mm -hmm. But know this. No one's going to hold your hand through it. So if you want to go to college, you better buckle down and do it. Mm -hmm. This is, this is what, what you got to do. Mm -hmm. And if you don't, well, here are the consequences. I'm not going to hold your hand through that either. Because if I did, when you left me, what becomes of you then? Hmm. Yeah, we, we have, we've got to get away from, um, from thinking that because our students come from poverty, that that is a reason to come in and give excuses hmm. or accept excuses. There are no excuses. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, if you when you if you want people to begin to treat you like whatever fill in the blank mm. then you've got to then be that you've got to behave that way you've got to act that way yeah. no one else is going to do that mm -hmm. so um it's really tough when we when when we're talking to people about becoming teachers in schools where you have um, such high extremes of poverty because oftentimes um, they're not going to be teachers who lived in poverty coming to work in the same setting. Yeah. It has been my experience, and, and I'm not, you know, the oldest person in the world, mm. but I've, you know, <laughs> as I watch, mm. it appears when I look at programs that are pulling people in to fill the gap. Mm. And we have some gaps here in our city. We have some, we have some gaps. Um, teaching is not an easy profession, period. Mm. And then when you add poverty and um, crime and 
all, all kinds of things that come with inner city districts, public schools. It doesn't get any easier. Yeah. So teachers come and they don't stay. Hmm. They don't stay. Yeah. Yeah, there are challenges that we encounter routinely in public education. Yeah. 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 Um, you've alluded to a lot of them. What What's something that you're keenly focused on in the work that you do? What's the challenge in public education that you're addressing through the work that you do? Well, through my work um, as an ITRT, I serve teachers. My role is to serve teachers through professional development, to help them think about creative ways to, you know, enhance their curriculum. Um, and I serve in schools where technology is really um, available, and I serve in schools where the technology is not so available. Mm. And so it's about um, bringing, you know, great things to the table that teachers can do and talking them through um, instances where it may not be available, so we have to be creative with those things. Um, and so it, it's kind of similar to me, you know, what I do with teachers and what I would hope teachers are doing with their students. Mm -hmm. Because you, you may not have everything in that classroom. And in fact, some of your students will come to you grade levels behind in reading and in math. But what can you do with what you have? Mm -hmm. That becomes the question. If we can focus on that, which is really hard, to just focus on that, then I think we can stay, we can stick around a little longer, we can get more done. Mm. So that's where I am now with, with my um, with my role as an ITRT. Mm. Um, I love what I do in terms of preparing teachers through the work um, with the new teacher center, working to help teachers prepare for mentoring new teachers mm. coming into the classroom. So I love that. Um, and the work that I do with teaching new teachers, secondary curriculum um, at VCU. Mm. It's really awesome work talking to teachers about um, creative ways to get kids engaged. Mm in the curriculum um, and, and addressing kids who are checked out. You talked about um, access to technology. Why is that so important? Well, our world has changed drastically. Um, we have to prepare our kids for the next, you know, for our society today, forget the next level. For society today, our kids have got to be digital you know, digitally equipped. And quite frankly, our kids now are, they're all digital, digital natives. Mm -hmm. I mean, they know it from the time they were born. You know, there's been a cell phone in the world. Like when I was born, you, those things didn't exist, but mm -hmm. they do exist for them now. But even with all of that, our kids are not um, literate in terms of digital literacy, mm -hmm. knowing, um, how to code a co you know computer program, how to use some of their creativity to make an app. Mm -hmm. Those things, um, I think those are the things that they're missing. Mm -hmm. And our, our job as teachers, I believe, 
with all of the SOLs and everything else is to give kids what they're missing mm -hmm. as much of it as we can. How mm. would that happen in a title, primarily Title I district mm. where most of our kids qualify for free or reduced lunch? But we are supposed to be going to the same finish line. Yeah. Same time frame, different resources, mm. different starting points. Part of me feels like everyone in our state needs to look at this because it's not just, you know, the district that I serve. There are lots of districts, and it's not just an urban thing. It's about money. I mean, <laughs> rural districts go through the same thing, mm -hmm. the, you know, the haves and have-nots. And so that gap is just one of the many gaps, mm -hmm. but it's, it's a big um, – it makes a big difference. And yeah. we send our teachers in there – and we, um, we give them as much encouragement as we can. Hey, your kids are awesome. In fact, I, I would find that resilient kids are probably some of the coolest kids mm -hmm. on the planet. Um, but it's going to be tough. And you may not get as many resources as you would if you were someplace else. But we need you to stay. Mm -hmm. It's a really tough sell. Yeah. But an important sell. Yeah. Um, I think there, so. there's a lot of real-world um, anecdotal pieces of evidence to support what you were just talking about. But there's also a lot of empirical evidence to support what you're talking yeah. about. So yeah. let's talk about the role of research in advancing public education. How do you see those two worlds connected? I think it's so, so important. And I think that it's going to require more teachers to do the action research to, and it, it again, like I, I hate putting it on back on the school to do and the teachers to do, because I think we do that enough, and we and and that's quite frankly why we're all burned out. Mm. Um, but I would love to have you know a university come in and perform the action research partnership with the teachers to say, hey, listen, I just want you to tell me your story. I'll collect the data, you know, mm -hmm. I'll analyze it, and then we'll, we'll go from there so mm -hmm. that we can get the word out and get people on board, get partners to, you know, put some resources into some of the gaps that we have. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, I do think it's very important. How well do you think the educational research and practice worlds are talking to each other right now? Not at all. I'll, I'll give you an example. I, <laughs> I went to a conference just a couple mm -hmm. months ago, and the conference was on, um, it, it was about um, professors getting together to talk about educational practice. Mm -hmm. And they were doing workshops on um, flipped classrooms and things of that nature. Um, the majority of the attendees were university professors and faculty members, and then um, some teachers, classroom teachers like myself or, you know, school personnel had been invited. And you could see the stark difference mm -hmm. between the two spheres, mm -hmm. university and K-12. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. that real world that, that we, um, we talk about. And, and the two should really be hand in hand. They really should be hand in hand, but they're not. Um, when, you know, we looked at some of the workshops and the teachers and I, we looked at each other like, well, flip classroom, we've been doing that for years. Yeah. 
And we've got to get together and talk about what we know, some of the strengths that are happening at the university level, some of the, some of our strengths, and share those things. And we're not. Mm. We're not. That partnership should be like between every school, every every university should have a, a couple of school districts that they're partnering with, mm. hand in hand, and not just you know, hey, I'm going to drop off these laptops, but mm-hmm. you know, let's get the faculty together. Let's get, you know, the faculty together with this department in the university. And we're going to talk about, you know, our mm-hmm. curriculum and how we can connect. And yeah. we're not doing that. Yeah. And maybe we let the uh, the teachers talk about what works best rather yeah. than the other way around. Yeah. Yeah. It would be nice. And it would also speak to the profession because I think that a lot of times the teaching profession itself has become... Um, it's almost like you're not you you're not even you don't even have a place. You don't have a place. Um, you work with a lot of teachers, a lot of new teachers. Yes. How do you prepare teachers for work in um, public schools and in a, a high poverty urban district? Because that's what RTR does. Yes. How do you do that work? What do you well, tell them? Um, <laughs> I tell them to uh, make sure that you are taking care of yourself. Okay, because, you know, if there's any profession in the world where you will, you know, do damage to your self, if you don't stop and take care of yourself, it is teaching because you're constantly getting, I mean, if you're doing it right, you are constantly giving, giving, giving mm-hmm. all day of yourself. You've got to stop and take care of yourself. And then outside of that, you've got to develop the teacher voice. Mm-hmm. Um you know, especially when, when we're working with kids who um, otherwise, you know, you would be feeling bad for and you would your emotions would run rampant about how much you just want to make sure this kid has what he or she needs and you know that they don't. Mm-hmm. But the reality is you will probably teach some kids who will come to your classroom hungry. Mm-hmm. You will probably teach some kids who have gone through more than you've ever gone through in your life and ever hoped to go through. Mm. And they come to you every day and they leave. Hopefully they come back every day. So what do you do? The last thing you can do is feel sorry for that kid. Mm. Because the minute you do that, you're saying to that child that there's no hope for you. Um, You're a victim. And maybe they've been a victim at, at one time or another. Maybe, likely they have. Mm. But the important thing is you've got to teach them to be victorious. Mm. That's hard stuff. You've <laughs> got to put on that voice. When they come into that classroom, you've got to be able to say good morning with love, but also with, I mean it, sit down. <laughs> um, it's, and it, it's, it's a tough thing, but it's a very important thing. Mm. Some people ask, well, do you smile the first, you know? <laughs> When do you when do you get to smile? <laughs> I have a feeling you smile a lot. I smile all the time, <laughs> and here's why. I think that when <laughs> I think you know there is no need to put on something that isn't you. You know, I, I'm a happy person because I choose to be happy. Hmm. I'm going to smile. We're going to have a great day. You're going to follow my instructions <laughs> because. 
who wouldn't want to stay in my class? That is the persona you have got to bring to the table. It's Miss Robinson's class. It's Miss Robinson's class. <laughs> you want yeah. to be here. Hmm. And if you don't, let me tell you why. And then you break out that awesome lesson. Hmm. And if they don't like it, you smile anyway. And you say, well, I still enjoy working with you, and I can't wait to see you till tomorrow. It's not fake. Hmm. Because if it's fake, kids are great. They sniff that right on out. They mm. tell you about themselves. They tell you about yourself. And they walk on over you. <laughs> They're great for that. Mm. Um, so it's got to be genuine. But it needs to be in a position of authority. Mm. You do need to take that role in the classroom. Yeah. It's just, you know, to me, it's the, the best and most even place to be, to be able to pull those two sides out at any given time, mm. just when they need it, tapping into your emotional intelligence. Right now, I know that you need me to be, so I'm going to be this. What's the future of public schools? <sighs> I would love to see schools become a place of empowerment, a place of, um, of hope. I would love to see not just i mean kids people i don't i think that we have we've done a disservice by boxing kids in by age mm. and cutting it off at certain ages and public school should be for whoever wants to come for however long mm. you want to be here for but that's why i'm a little bit way outside the box um <laughs> So that's what you want. What do you see? Oh, dear. I see us continuing to find a way to prove to ourselves that we're doing what we say we want to do. Mm. I think we are all about um, accounting for um, and measuring what we choose to measure, what we're holding ourselves accountable for. I think those things will ebb and flow Mm. with whatever is popular at the time, quite Mm. frankly. I feel like I know that that's going to happen. We're going to we're going to pick something new to measure against. We might do portfolios instead of standardized tests. Hmm. We might move to that. Um, whatever we move to, it will still be at the end of the day. We're still going to be about measuring and hmm. um, and all of those things are fine. It's just that I think we're still missing some very important pieces. Hmm. Uh, so I guess maybe I, I still try to be optimistic. What else is there? <laughs> Learn a lot about public education. Um, so grateful for your perspective and your time and the work that you do here in Richmond and look forward to talking to you again very, very soon. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank this you. is exciting.